when you're working with, I mean, a business or a corporation, there's always a certain reason why they're working for you. There's some sort of motivating, usually a financially motivating element of why they're talking to you. Either they're having issues driving revenue or their revenue is falling or their costs are increasing in a certain area and they need help investigating what's going on or maybe they know what's going on, but then they need help to figure out the problem. So usually no matter what conversation I'm having with any company, we have to understand what are the KPIs? What are the metrics that are important to you that we're working on? So everyone's on the same page and we're all aligned to that goal to get you there to where you need to be. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Super, super excited about this guest that we have, uh, Christine Purvis. Uh, she is a senior account representative uh, at uh, SAP, which is a leading ERP company. Uh, and she basically has qualified for President's Club twice in her very young career and sold over $50 million in software subscription revenue in the last few years. So a real top performer. In fact, that she's part of the Rising Talent Advisory Board at SAP and um, is really, really crushing it. You know, one of the big things that just sort of stands out for me is um, just how wise she is at such a young age. Just really, really wise, intelligent, uh, tremendous communicator. Uh, just loved our conversation. Um, and uh, I know you're really going to love uh, this conversation. So enjoy it. And, and you know, what we're up to is finding other amazing young leaders like Christine to come and develop themselves and go out and have incredible, impactful careers like Christine's doing. So if you know someone, please send me an email, chris at leaderspodcast.ca, send them to studentworks.com or leaderspodcast.ca slash apply, or you can send them a link to our podcast and see, see if they love what we're up to and want to get some more information and uh, uh, hear, about, hear about our program. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I don't usually get these interview requests. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's really awesome, and I've, I've really enjoyed doing them. One of the the best things about them is, is I just get to reconnect with our amazing alumni and, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I saw your success over LinkedIn and, and your continued, you know, progress. But before we get there, I wanted to jump to, you know, before you joined student works, okay. You know, maybe even before going to Laurier, you know, tell us about what you were like before the pro program. So that would be going back to the high school days, which feels like yesterday, but it's a long yeah. time ago now. I would say that I was a very busy bee, very active. I <laughs> I participated in a lot of 
activities, extracurriculars in school, like student council, environmental council, and then also was on a sports team every single season. And through the summer, I volunteered a lot. And, but most importantly, I was focusing on my grades, but definitely one of those people that has always had um, an agenda and had to plan in advance. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so so many of our operators i was exactly like you were describing you know just things going on lots of things and and the reality is it's not surprising that then you take a role where there's just loads of things going on you know to go and accomplish all the things that you do so if you think back do, do you remember any big frustrations you had as a teenager so i think the first thing that comes to mind is probably not seeing my friends as much as I wanted to because I was focused on achieving an average and a grades high enough that would allow me to go into whatever university program I decided on in the end. So I wanted to keep all the doors open. So I'd say that is, that was my biggest frustration, um, just working a lot during the week. But the other thing that I think is really tough at that time in most people's lives is just not comparing yourself to other people because because I think at school you're always around others everyone has different clothes everyone has different strengths has different friends is maybe better in one subject than you and you're never going to be the best at everything someone's always going to be better and comparing yourself can lead to a lot of negative feelings and pain. And so I think at that time that wasn't so easy, but I I found as I grow older, I've realized that it's, you know, your own lane and your own path and you're never going to be someone else. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, I, I love that. And, um, you know, I think it's even harder now with social media and people, you know, again, sending pictures out where, you know, again, they're, it's their best day. Yes. It's, you know, their best view. And, and, and so, so I think it's harder now than ever for a teenager. It's harder for all of us. You know, the reality is, is that comparison thing, you know, I think you're so right. Just disconnecting from it because again, we're comparing our, our private self to other people's public self, you know, and seeing, seeing that big dramatic difference where we're no, we're again, we're all, you know, making progress in this world. Um, and, uh, comparisons, especially when we're comparing, and this is something that people are apt to do is compare, oh, they're doing better. Well, hold on. What about comparing we're doing better? Meaning look at how many people were so much more fortunate than, right. If we use that as contrast. So, you know, just thinking about, uh, well, on, on some media showed up where somebody had these awful shoes, they were sort of tied together. They didn't have shoelaces and you go, oh, there's a contrast. There's a comparison. That's good to use. You know, wow. Aren't I blessed? Completely focusing on what you have and what you're grateful for. And can you be happy with what you have? Not what others have. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, what do you still rely on from the program? I know we only had you for one year at Laurier. I know one thing, sometimes sometimes we're not, um, uh, Laurier has an incredible co-op program and sometimes uh, students will just stay one year with us. And um, so, so what do you still rely on from the program? So much. So I think that being a part of 
Student Works Painting was my introduction to how a business actually operates because you can learn about that in a book or in class. But having that experience from an end-to-end perspective in real life was a game changer for me. So for example, at Student Works, you learn about the marketing processes and choosing what marketing approach do you want to take? Where do you want to invest your marketing dollars? Are you getting a return on this one? Maybe not. Maybe you need to pivot, try a different strategy. And then you also have your the financial knowledge you gain where it's where you're learning that making money requires an investment and a cost. And then you've got the HR angle where you're recruiting your team and training your team and understanding how important um, the culture and morale of your group is. And then the operation side of it with planning and scheduling and how much capacity can you take and how long is it going to take and shifting and being agile. And then the biggest thing for me was the actual sales process, which was a huge a huge lesson because that's that's what I actually do today now. So that was my introduction to the what I would call the the lead to cash process, where you're understanding what is a lead, how do you get a lead, what does that move into? Now it moves into an opportunity, and then you are trying to forecast what your pipeline looks like. What is a pipeline, and then actually negotiating and closing. And uh, all of that, there's just so many different elements. And it was really my first time ever learning anything. I didn't even know what a CRM system was. I didn't even know what pipeline was. Yeah. And that was really game changing for me. And then there, I was just thinking of um, a couple other skills that I took away, not actually the, the beyond the understanding the business model was having difficult conversations and maybe difficult to me at the time was interviewing someone for the first time where I'd never been in that that position or having that conversation where some, where a project was delayed and that I was nervous to have that conversation. So approaching those topics and also problem solving and so many transferable skills um, I picked up at student work. Awesome. Great. Awesome. And, and and obviously, uh, you know, one of the real strengths that we have in our our business is really teaching the sales and marketing process. That's that's really you know ultimately probably one of our core core strengths. And so, obviously, you becoming a sales professional with one of the leading you know enterprise resource planning ERP companies in the world, SAP, obviously is 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 really great in understanding all the different steps, right, of, of that, of that process is a real advantage. I'm, 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 I'm sure. So if you, if you think back, I know you, you know, one of the great things that you learned at Laurier was, or sorry, you had it at Laurier is, is the opportunity to work in different roles. So you, so you your, your first summer after, after student works, you went to Pepsi. So what was that experience like? And what did that teach you? I really enjoyed learning. I so I was in the finance group at Pepsi and I really enjoyed learning about the the CPG industry and Pepsi is such an enormous company. I just had a sliver of it, but yes. I was working on understanding things like okay, the plastics changing price today, what does this mean because we're producing a million bottles of 
creating a million bottles to fill with beverages. And so it was very interest, uh, interesting to learn that completely different business. What I did learn from that experience as well, though, was that I was very, very involved in the numbers. And I felt like that I love numbers, but it just wasn't enough um, interaction with people for me in that specific role. So that was uh, a good opportunity to test out a different yeah. experience entirely. 100%. Like that's one of the great things to do is, is again, it's, it's like, you know, someone could look at that as, oh, that was a failure because I didn't like finance. No, it was a success because I learned a whole bunch about finance and maybe have a way bigger appreciation, right. For the other part, uh, another part of the business. And it's great because I know I'm not going to go apply for a finance role. Right. Isn't yes. that great? You know? So, yes. so, you know, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Completely. And so then you went to Deloitte and spent a term, uh, a summer at Deloitte or a term at Deloitte. How did you, how did you find that experience? It was amazing. I think Deloitte is such an incredible company. The one thing that I would say is they really do what they say. And if, if they said to their employees, like, we're going to do uh, a performance review, or we're going to take your feedback, or we're going to do uh, offer a raise or a bonus, they really do that. So I really um, learned how important it was to be authentic as an employer because of yeah. how much I appreciated it being on the other side. I also, it was my first experience really in the corporate world working on with other professional clients and businesses. So I was picking up the skills on how to have conversations with executives and what kind of things were important to them financially and um, what was driving their top and bottom line. So I, I developed more financial acumen, but from a much higher level perspective than say I was working at Pepsi, that was more inwards on Pepsi, whereas Deloitte, I was looking at the business in its entirety and all their financials, which that knowledge has also traveled with me today. And yes. I still use a lot of that today. Yes. Yeah. Because, because a lot of times um, people think sales is, oh, I'm just selling. Well, hold on. <laughs> selling is, mo is a big, a big, big part of selling is actually understanding. Right. So having that financial acumen, I could imagine being a really, really important part of being successful in your role. Could you speak to that? hundred percent, because I think when you're working with, I mean, a business or a corporation, there's always a certain reason why they're working for you. There's some sort of motivating, um, usually a financially motivating element of why they're talking to you. either they're having issues driving revenue or their revenues falling or their costs are increasing in a certain area and they need help investigating what's going on or maybe they know what's going on, but then they need help uh, to figure out the problem. So usually no matter what conversation I'm having, with any company, we have to understand what are the KPIs? What are the metrics that are important to you that we're working on? So everyone's on the same page and we're all aligned to that goal to get you there to where you need to be. So it's it's really essential in, um, in what we do today well, and what I do today. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, tell us about uh, you know, you were you were able to join, you know, SAP, a global software company. 
you know, what was the recruiting process like, you know, coming out of Laurier, et cetera? So I was actually, um, still, I, I continued with Deloitte after, and I was pursuing my, uh, CA degree. Okay. Uh, my, yeah. So my CA designation, I, I should say, but I just, I didn't feel hundred percent. It was the fit for me. So I took a pause from that. And I went to, I went to Southeast Asia actually with, uh, a few of my girlfriends, which I didn't think was going to be a learning experience, but it ended up being very educational on so many levels. But then when I came back, I had some time to think about it and I thought, okay, I really would like to try sales. It's something we did not learn at school at all. Right. And I didn't have any training other than student works painting. So I wanted to look for somewhere that had really great sales training program or for someone that was new like me. Right. And I, um, I learned about SAP and the sales Academy program. So I applied for that and that was, uh, quite an extensive recruiting process actually. And, uh, lots of, lots of interviews, but also we had to, um, fly to the States and do, a uh, day or so long simulation. Um, yes. Yes. So that was, and then like, and then you were graded along the way with interviews with executives and it was, um, was really fun. So it, it worked out really, uh, I was really happy that I, I was accepted to the training sales training Academy. Fantastic. And and so what's been your progression at SAP and what, what would have been the different roles? Because, you know, obviously in an organization like SAP, they break up sales differently than obviously student works where it's just, you know, we're selling, you know, homeowners. Yes. So it's, it's a huge sales organization. So there's a lot of different paths you can take. So my first year, what I did was I was in that in the sales academy program. So I spent months at um, in California where we got classroom training on a whole bunch of different types of topics like negotiation, again, financial acumen, executive conversations, uh, business etiquette, all, all you name it. And so we part of the year we would go back and forth to California and do that. And then the other part of the year we were paired up with a really high performing account executive at SAP. And then, so I was paired up with uh, someone uh, named Bob. And so I would go with him to all his customer meetings and learn from him and take um, actively participate and take on part of the process with them. So that was my first year or so. And then my second year, or yeah, about my second year, I had a, my first quota, which was a big deal because then you're really on the hook and yes. um, the, <laughs> the <laughs> pressure's on. And so I started focusing on one solution. So we're selling software. So I fo- focused on one solution with maybe um, what we would call uh, lo- lower level accounts, which are have a lower level of revenue. Yes. And then through the la- through the years, then I um, started selling more solutions and into increasingly um, larger companies. So now I'm I'm working on accounts over one billion dollars, which we would call our key accounts. And um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, 
it's been a lot like the learning curve has been really steep, but I have learned um, so much about different industries and um, different companies here in Canada. Fantastic. So, so your, your focus is on then billion dollar accounts. And so um, how, how long would it take to close, you know, uh, a billion dollar account? Because I imagine a billion dollar account would already be working and having an, a relationship with another ERP. Would that be true? Cause how could they be operating if they didn't have some type of a, you know, software program that was running their company? And so it, would it be switching? Is that, is that the only way you get business at your level? Not always because okay. so f- for me specifically, I'm focused on customer experience solutions so not necessarily ERP. And okay. what I think all tech companies have come to realize is that no customer is ever going to really be a hundred percent choosing your solutions. So a lot of companies have uh, different, different co- work with different tech companies. So ah. Yeah. So, and, and usually one software can't do one solution can't do it all. So I think that it's not necessarily always switching. Sometimes customers do like to switch, but a lot of the times it's really adding more value or filling a gap that they haven't already covered, or they have a very old platform and they want it to become more modern because like with customer experience solutions, people shop and consume services and goods so different differently now than if you look back even five years, 10 years. So, um, customers always have to be maintaining their, um, their software to meet the market. Right. Okay. And then, you know, how long, how long does it typically take to have a customer make a decision when they're that large? It really, really, really can depend. Sometimes it's such an enormous project that it requires, an entire committee on the customer's end of 20, 30 people helping to drive this decision with external consultants, someone like a Deloitte or an Accenture. So that could take that could take a year, 18 months, two mm-hmm. years sometimes even. Wow. But yeah, and those are usually like the larger projects, but I would say other sales cycles can be within a few months. Okay. Yeah. And also just depending on like situations like COVID, well, a lot of the times customers weren't ready for that. So they were really trying to move quickly to, for example, get an online shop set up because their retail stores were closed if they didn't have one or they didn't have curbside Uh pickup, they would have to enable that really quickly. So yeah, it's, that's a tough one, Chris. Okay. So, 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 and again, it's, it, it just sort of, to me, it speaks to, you know, being, uh, flexible, right? Sometimes, oh, we just got to go fast. You know, there's this COVID, there's this crisis. We need to solve these 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 uh, situations for our clients. Or there's a really thorough process. Um, and a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, they don't see, you know, uh, just again, you know, a billion dollar plus business and the thoroughness that they need to make a decision, you know, just because there's so many things that are working to drive the value chain in that business. So you can't just go, oh, let's do this because mm-hmm. hold on by doing that, how will that impact other things? So, so there's a real thoroughness. I'm sure that you see really, really up, up close and front, uh, personal to go and see how they make those decisions. Completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that's bang on. And then what about um, your um, your team? So how many people when you're when you're looking to 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 be involved in these deals, who else are you relying on um, and working with Christine to 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 close these types of projects? Usually, um, maybe say about at least two people for sure. Sometimes okay. you could have maybe another five or six people. So we're really lucky at SAP because we have such a diverse and large workforce. So we have people inside the organization that are laser focused on certain topics or experts, or they were our customers and then they got hired by SAP. So they were on the other end of things. So luckily for me, I'm able to call on these people to um, join our team when we're working with uh, a customer to help. So, but one of my key partners is usually someone, what we would call a solution advisor. So Mm -hmm. that person is usually my sidekick and they're a lot more technical. They, they can go into the weeds of, of, can this actually work in your in your technical environment? Because that's a big part yes. of it. And that's something that I'm not uh, deep in in that way. Mm-hmm. And then we also have our own internal consulting team because a lot of the time our customers have to go through a business, present their business case to obtain the funding to do this large project. And that can take a lot of time and a lot of their resources too to have people work on the budget process and what's the ROI and the benefits. So that's another service we offer to clients at free of charge. So, so usually I'll have someone from our, what we would call our um, value advisor team. Yes. And then experts or say, say they want to learn, say it was Pepsi calling to, and they, they don't know what to do. They're stuck on something and, and we want to, pull in the CPG experts to advise and say, hey, we work with these hundreds of customers around the world who are having a similar problem. This is how they've all approached them. And they have so much visibility. So we are very lucky. We can, we have, a, we have a, <laughs> a great team of people we can call on. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And I know Kristen Cornell is one of those value advisors. She's yes. one of our former alumni as well and did a podcast earlier. And and so again, building these plans and showing the ROI to companies to show this is what SAP can do. So no, that's great. And I, I think it's really, again, just, just fascinating. Um, again, just how thoughtful the process is. And like you said, okay, it's about bringing on the best experts in the world to go and show your, you know, what, what, what this large organization can do to serve the customer. So if you think back, you know, one of the things, you know, our young leaders who are listening, you know, are, are maybe afraid of or, or concerned with is failures or setbacks. How do you see those? And what, you know, what, what sort of failures or setbacks or mistakes have you made in your career so far? Well, it happens to everyone. <laughs> I've made so many mistakes. I think one thing that's been a bit of a struggle for me personally is really um, 100% listening. Because if I even think back to lectures at school, I would go to the class in university and I wasn't 100% listening. And then because I was thinking of so many different things and what I need to do and everything else and multitasking and trying to get more done. But really, I was setting myself back because now I had to rework and restudy what I didn't 100% listen to. 
Right. And I find sometimes I've done that at work too. I've gone into a meeting and I didn't fully listen. And then now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, now I'm going to miss the mark on this because I was trying to multitask to get more done. So I've really, (laughs) or you could be thinking about a point you want to make or a question you want to say next and worry that you won't get a chance to ask your question or something like that. So then you're focusing on your question and not what the person's saying. So that's, um, that I've made mistakes and not listening enough. And I've really tried to be a lot more present and this is like professionally and personally, I try not to go on my phone when I'm with having a coffee with anyone, or if you need to, like, I just mentioned, like, I have to excuse myself for a second, but I, I don't, I try not to do that at all. And, um, be a lot more generous with my attention. Yeah, no, and it, it's it so serves. And, and one of the other things is, well, identifying when we're not present because we're human. Sometimes we won't be. Sometimes our, you know, head, head will be. And, and so it's, it's asking, oh, sorry, I missed that. You know, you were saying about this, you know, just, just, and it's okay. People won't, you know, I know, oh, well, you weren't listening to me. No, no, the, the, the fact that you're asking means you are trying to listen to them. So obviously, if you continue to do it, that would be a problem. But but you know you know a, a redirect is 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 totally okay, and looking to serve uh, somebody or again, like you said, even just a friend going for coffee, right? You know, and just just again, being present is so valuable. So I know one of the things you mentioned was you're part of the Rising Talent Advisory Board. So what's that, and what have you gained from participating uh, with that at SAP? Oh, this is a great program. So. They've gathered a bunch of um, rising talent, should I say, (laughs) at SAP, and they've um, created this group. And so what we have had the opportunity to do is to choose something we're passionate about or that we saw an area of the business. We see an opportunity for improvement within SAP. and Right. And then we have taken that on as a side project within work. So I work with a a group of people uh, internally. And what we're focused on right now is how can we, we do a lot of um, corporate social responsibility initiatives at SAP. We're a huge supporter of autism at work. And so we're trying to, we hire lots of people on the spectrum and we're trying to increase that even more. So that's just an example of what we do. But one thing we're focusing on right now is Alzheimer's. So it's something that we identified as a group, something that hits close to home for all of us in some way. And we didn't think there was a lot of awareness in Canada. So we're working with a foundation in BC right now and seeing if we can partner with them to, to drive more success in the research and the prevention, not necessarily the treatment, which gets a bit more funding. So that's currently what we're doing um, right now. And it's, it's just a great opportunity because it's so different from day-to-day life and we can take a break from work and focus on a passion project. Oh, and contribution is, is that wonderful? And, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it also speaks to world leading organizations like SAP 
you know, see uh, regularly see themselves as they're not just about making money. They should also spend time and energy and, and their talent making a contribution. So that speaks to what they they're they're about, right? You know, and what their people are about. Because again, if people are just about money, they you know go well. Hold on, why are we doing this? You know, hold on, you know, and they they the good talent look to go elsewhere. So so there's 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 just a um you know a universality around that. And and again, I think sometimes people from the outside think, oh no, it's some it's some con. They're just doing it because no no no, it's actually they're doing it because the people in that business really do care about it. Yes. Because that's what good people care. <laughs> you, know, you know, they just they just they just do. It's not that complex. <laughs> so, yes, yes, completely. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, so you've made President's Club twice. So uh so congratulations. Um, you know, and and obviously, so maybe you could describe to our listeners, you know, what target you have to achieve, what percentile do you have to achieve to 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 hit President's Club? And then what do you think the difference is between people who can make that happen and who can't make that happen in your opinion? Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough one, but so we have all you, we all at SAP have a quota of X million usually per year that we have to sell in or that we have to try to sell or achieve yeah. in subscription revenue because a lot of our products are cloud. So that's the target. and then to make club you have to make 130% of your okay your target so that's how you get there and it's an amazing experience it is so fun i wish i could do it every single year <laughs> ours has been in hawaii and i think i really don't know the secret to getting there or not because i think there's just so many factors playing into your work each year and who you're working with and what's happening. But what I have found is really setting other people apart is collaboration and sharing and helping each other. Most people that are successful are very helpful towards others and are very collaborative and share their good ideas and and I, I think they just get a lot of support back in ter- in return because they're so um, they're so willing to help. So I say that's one. The second I would say is actually genuinely caring about your customers and not just like for me. I'm, I know I have a quota, but that's not really why I'm doing it every day or why I'm here. It's right. I'm once I'm so invested in the people I work with and I care so much. And if anything goes off, like I'm super upset about it for real. And I want them to be successful. And I consider our customers and partners. And I think yeah. you need to be motivated. I think you need to feel that way so that you're motivated to do the right thing and you will naturally work so hard to get them your customers to be successful so i think that is the second one and then i think details are so important there's a lot of information and um i think it's you have to figure out how to easily decipher what's important what's not and then really pay attention and focus on important details because it's very easy to miss to miss some things like that and that could impact your um just your close rates 
Yeah. I love those three things. Um, you know, to me, I, 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 you know, I wanted to sort of, you know, focus on, you know, again, you're so right. Like, especially when you're selling accounts, like you're selling, it's takes a long time. It's, it's long conversations with people and they become really your friends, I imagine. Yes. Right. Like it's, you know, and the, the investment they're making in uh, SAP system is a huge part of their career. If it doesn't yes. work, if it this is a big, big bet that they're making, and so it's you're helping their career like they're helping your career. So, so really, you're joining arms together. So it's it's you know sort of seeing that. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. And you know, the, the likelihood is things will flip and that you'll work together on another deal or with another company or you know hey, you know who knows. Right. So it's just understanding how again those relationships are so huge. And, and, and again, your first point was about relationships as well, really, again, just helping people, you know, yes. and again, helping people in the business. I know we had a top performer at our training just recently, just sharing, you know, he made um club and he was like, he, he finished number two in the world at um, Oracle NetSuite. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, there's just no way he would have done it had he not been competing with a, a bunch, a, a number of other people and cooperating, you know, so it's yes. just, you know, sharing and working and, 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 and that's what we see our top performers doing as well. It's so, it's so great. Again, we can, we can share, we can work hard. We can, you know, again, quote unquote, try to win together. So that's awesome. Completely. Yes. And so, so I know one of the things you mentioned earlier was just about, you know, you've been to 30 countries and, and so what did you, what did you learn? I know you said that that was really transformational. So what did, what did you learn from doing that? Wow. So I think it, I think traveling is so important to get a perspective on how blessed we are here and to feel so grateful every day of, of what we have and the abundance of wealth and security we have in this country. So. I think naturally it makes people a lot more aware of how privileged we are. So I definitely wake up every day feeling so grateful and even just having a job, even right now, it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm so yeah. lucky to yeah. be in this position. But I also think so much goes wrong when you're traveling. It's It sounds so glamorous and the pictures are beautiful, but you're running into scam artists, like you're getting, your tickets are being canceled and then you're stranded and have to make a plan in a second in a dangerous location. And then like all these risks of, of do you go on this ferry that's $5 when when you don't have enough, a lot of money. And then you're like, or do I go on the $10 one that's safer? And I just like being being there with my girlfriends. We were just navigating through all these hoops the whole time, and the teamwork, and also even leadership skills. Like who's going to take the lead in this country? That's how we divided it. Actually, we would do you do you're you're the leader in this country or this city, and then we'd uh, and then we'd switch. But for anyone who has the opportunity or chance, I would recommend it if you're interested. I think. It was a nice time in life to do that before or after university. And I yeah. um, I wish I could go back. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's it's great. I'm a I, I love to travel. I can't wait until post-COVID or whatever we'll be able to. And uh uh yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. 
So if we think back to that, you know, university student and then now creating a big value creator in the full-time world, what did you need to change about yourself, Christine? I think my expectations, because I felt like, I think no matter what job you have or what path you take, you may have some expectations, but it's pretty much never, ever going to be what you expect it to be. And in some cases, it could be even better than you expected. But in a lot of cases, it can be more difficult than you expected. And then you let yourself down. So I went into sales just having like a thought in my mind, a vision of what it would be like. And it's been so different. And it took me about a year to realize okay, this is not actually what I signed up for or what I thought it would be. And I had to throw that story in my head out and then continue on with the reality. Right. And um, it's not to say what it, it was worse after. It's just that it was so different. So I think right. just going into an experience with an open mind and just having being ready for anything that's going to come at you because you know that every day something challenging is going to come flying in your face and you have to deal with it. And if you expect it to be perfect, it's just never going to be. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's been a bit, that was a big learning. Uh, I think just coming out into the real corporate world, that was my biggest lesson. Well, I totally, I totally hear you, you know, and uh, you know, I think acceptance uh, is a, is a really, really great thing to practice uh, during a pandemic and otherwise, right? Like yeah. it's, it's going to be different. You know, it's going to be bumpy, you know, and accepting that moving on, what's the next best step I can take. So that's fantastic. So if someone wanted to do what you do, what key habits would they want to steal from you? I think the most important thing to me um, is being kind to everyone. And Mm -hmm. I think no matter what situation you face at work, professionally or personally, I, I, I do think that you should treat everyone with kindness and respect and there's many situations when emotions run really high and because you do care about something like your customers or your colleague there's a lot on at stake for you and a lot on the line but I think it's easy to make those maybe quick comments out of hurt or anger that can really set you back and really hurt someone else's feelings and I think no matter how high the pressure gets or the situation, I, I really think you should. Uh, like my personal belief is to just treat everyone with kindness and, and work out the problems that way. Love it. Love it. I think that's just so, so valuable. And, uh, you know, certainly as a, as a professional success, it's not a strategy. It's just obviously a way of being for you uh, and something that you try to do. And on the other hand, it really, really makes a difference because the world's small, especially in circles that Christine's in, you know, just the corporate Canada is really small and you're going to bump back into people and, you know, and people know when they're being a big pain in the butt or they're really struggling <laughs> or they're being sharp yeah. or nasty or whatever, and maybe not so kind that day. And, and the, the fact that you treated them well when they weren't so well, uh, is actually, you know, the, the, most people will remember most. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, most people remember and you'll always remember that people are kind to you and you'll gravitate to work to want to do more for the people that are kind to you. 
Can I share, can I just share a story of, um, yes, something my dad told me. So when he was younger or in earlier in his career, he owned a bank building that he rented to a, he he rented to a bank. And so every few years, some big shot at the bank would come to negotiate the lease with him to sign up for more years. And they would come with a driver and, and my, my dad would say, like, please don't have your driver stay in the car because it's hot outside. Please, please ask them to join the meeting. And sometimes the people from the bank will say like, no, no, no. Like, you know, they're just the driver kind of a thing. And then they'd go for lunch after, and then the driver would stay in the car. And my dad said, please, like, I can't have someone sitting in the car. Please. Can you um, join the driver? And sometimes they didn't allow the dr- driver to join the meetings. And yeah. so um, fast forward about 10 years, 10, 15 years later, that driver actually ended up working for the bank and started going up in the ranks and ended up being the person that my dad would nego- continue to negotiate the lease with. And I think that story I've always remembered because it's just so full circle that there's not only should you just be nice and kind to everyone is that these kind of people are going to be in your life again and forever. And you don't want to hurt that relationship. And no matter who they are, what power authority or rank, I do believe you should treat everyone with kindness. Oh, I so, so agree. And, and it really speaks to who you are as a person, you know, it's, it's how do you treat the person who, who literally, you don't, you don't even, first of all, I like your strategy and I like the thought of that. Like, yes, you know, for some people who, who have a hard time doing something for out of reason, but there's a bigger reason and it's just integrity. It's just no, how you treat somebody who literally will never be able to help you is, is who you are as a person. Like that's, that's really what it is. It's just like, let's just treat everybody nicely. Why shouldn't we? Yes. Right. And, and you'll feel better when you put your head on your pillow, you'll go, Oh, I feel good. I, I, you know, that was, that was nice, you know? And, and again, it's, it's, you know, not always that we have to be nice, but just again, you know, respectful, kind, that sort of thing, you know, it just makes such a difference and makes the world a way better place to live in. So final question, Christine, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Someone who inspires you, who excites you, someone who like, it would be the person if you were in gym class and you got to pick whose team do you want to be on, that person that you trust is going to get you across to get the win. And someone who, <laughs> someone who believes that every person can offer something unique and special and different to the table and that they have the ability to tap into everyone's strengths and then use them toward the group's collective agenda or whatever it is, the goal. That's someone charismatic. That, that's what I think <laughs> as a leader. Love it. Love it. I love that. That was uh, perfect. I just love it. I'm just revved up to 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 be led by that person, you know, a real fan of 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 everybody's and seeing everybody's value. All right, all right. Let's hope that we can do that this afternoon in our meetings, Christine. Um, <laughs> we'll hold ourselves we'll accountable. Try. Exactly. Yeah. We're working on it. We're working on it. So, Christine. Thank you so much for making a making a difference for our young leaders and uh, and around your crazy busy schedule. 
And uh, and again, continued success and uh, and all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I it was such an honor. I clearly love chatting, so nothing more fun than chatting for an hour with you, <laughs> especially about myself. No, 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 just kidding. But no, I love student works painting. It was such a great experience, and I of course jumped up at the opportunity to chat with you more about it. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, thanks <laughs> again, Christine. Bye bye. bye. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.